0: This is a Data Privacy Detective, and today we're really going to take a plunge, uh, a plunge into this. What does it take really for, take a mid-sized business or a university or an organization, what does it really take it to stay up to date on these ever-changing data privacy laws and regulations? Uh, certainly within the United States, we, we've seen uh, the sixth state out of 50 to enact a comprehensive code, and who knows who will be seventh, and they differ here and there. And then you add all the countries of the world and different, you know, this is really challenging. And that's beyond the problem of our employees or our personnel get fished with a pH and hardware can break down and people can give away a thumb drive and be all the problems of the theft of personal identity and data. There's a big problem. And today, as we have as a guest, Rachel Ormiston. Rachel is a privacy executive who specializes in global privacy, cybersecurity, crisis, and incident response. Rachel, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Hi there. Thank you for having me.
0: Now, you are the head of privacy at Osano, a business based in Austin, Texas, and it's a leader in privacy management software. Help us understand what Osano does and, and what it doesn't do. I take it, for example, you don't sell hardware. This is software we're going to talk about.
1: That's right. So Osano is a data privacy platform that helps to simplify privacy compliance by helping organizations to build, manage, and scale their privacy programs. Obviously, compliance is important, but so is increasing trust and doing the right thing. So Osano has tooling that can help organizations to support their subject rights management, vendor rights management and consent management amongst other things in a one-stop shop that's easy to use and hopefully anyone can use it.
0: Uh, the reference on the website is no fines, no penalties pledge that Osano pledges at and it's not a you're not an insurance company but you're 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 saying that if you use our software properly and do it well that you're, you're pretty much reimbursing the customer for a fine or a penalty that a, uh, a data privacy authority might levy. Do, do I have that correct?
1: That's right. The, the tooling is being designed in a way to meet the compliance requirements we work with many outside counsel. We have a number of um, really strong advocates within our organization who understand the requirements. So we have a tool that is designed for organizations to use. And uh, we we have that pledge because it's something that we feel very strongly about.
0: Well, that's a real enticement uh, for any business or organization to take, certainly to take a look at this. And I take it you, you deal with businesses. Do you, do you uh, have products also for individuals or is it really a B2B uh, business? really B2B. Well, let me ask you this. Let's start this way, Rachel. How, take a mid-sized US business or organization. What are the essential elements that that organization has to have to have a decent and compliant privacy policy and system?
1: So I think writing a decent privacy policy it really has to be readable and easy to understand, which is of course getting harder to do when the regulations are ever evolving. But I think before you even get to that, it's important that you understand the data that you have that so that your policy can be accurate and currently reflecting your privacy program. The privacy policy okay, is going to...
0: On that, because this is so, such an important point. I, I, I've dealt with some real-time... Uh, Uh, traffic people. And, uh, you know, a lot of businesses tell me if I'm wrong, come into this and they say, we don't keep personal data. And then (laughs) you take a look and you have employees who are buying things with their credit card on the the business email and, uh, you know, buying tickets and passport applications, all sorts of personal data, Have you found that to be the case.
1: Absolutely. I think um, anyone who's working in privacy knows that you can ask 10 people in the room the same question. You might get diff- 10 different answers. Yeah. So it really is important that you are taking stock of what you have so that it can be accurate. And then it's current. I think another thing that organisations sometimes do is their privacy policy might be wish listy. It might be future state. If you're trying to think about what you want it to be and um, you want it to be accurate rather than aspirational. So I think that's why, really, when you're building your privacy program, you have to ask those questions around what systems you have, what data you're collecting, what processes your teams are following today, and who you're sharing that information with so that you can set up the best foundation for your program and ultimately for your policies too.
0: With the data sharing, we've certainly seen a proliferation of data sharing agreements. We even have an acronym now, DSAs, you know, and... uh, (laughs) There are just an enormous number of these. I read one estimate that a typical mid-sized business might have two or 300 data sharing agreements, uh, often without really knowing it.
1: That's it. I think the ecosystem around data sharing, it's, it's getting larger because we're all using different services. And I think one of the, the challenges with that is finding the time to be able to review all those different vendors and subprocessors. I think that's where you can sometimes get creative and strategic around how you best manage that risk. So sometimes it might be a case of, Having one individual in your organization who's solely focused on that, but for smaller organizations that maybe don't have that luxury of resourcing, it might be looking at tooling that can help support your vendor rights management and your vendor risk management by um, looking at those those ratings and doing some of that work for you, and that's something that Osano can help with as well.
0: Invading uh, Osano's privacy or trade secrets at all? I mean, how does one create a policy and a system that, that that aims to comply not only with existing uh, regulation, varied as they are, but but with kind of lasting principles of conduct, responsibility, and transparency.
1: Yeah, I think it's it's really important for organisations to take a principle based approach when they're designing their program. So not just looking at what you have to do, but thinking about the company you want to be and how you want to handle that data with the regulatory landscape evolving. Day by day, I think that can help set you up for future success. If you're thinking about what principles matter to you, to your organization, to your customers, where are your customers based? What industry are they in? Are there target demographics uh, that you need to consider as well? Or have you got Gen Zers versus Millennials, for example? um I think context does matter when it comes to privacy. So if you can ask yourself those questions, Get yourself into a position of understanding what the customer expectations are and design your program around that. It doesn't necessarily guarantee that you're future-proofing your program, but it does, I think, help you understand your program better. It helps you future-proof as much as you can, but I think it also gives you the the ability to move and pivot as needed when those changes happen around you.
0: Of course, there's a recent example out of Europe with its, of course, well-known GDPR approach, a very comprehensive approach, data-centric, certainly where uh, a major provider launched a product but had nothing, but it's one that uh, children uh, might use. But there was nothing on it to say that they were uh, younger than 16 years old in a particular country, and they got a, a sizable fine. That, that's sort of an example to say you, you ought to go into this if your data might be used by children, even if they're not your major audience, to have that sort of thing there when you, when you launch, rather than get the call first from a data protection authority.
1: Absolutely. And I think that's where your privacy by design principles come into play, where you're thinking about who are your users. And then when you're evaluating that, what risks are associated with that and how you mitigate that. Because I think that's such a good example where you might have a product that might be used by children. um, Had you considered that when you were designing the product. Um, But I think that those principles can really help Sanjay and further said if you're taking the time early in your processes to think about how your product, how your data might be used it can help you later on in the process and hopefully avoid some of those those tricky conversations.
0: Another example might be what we saw out of California with the, a fine of a business that didn't have a way for, for a business to allow people to say don't sell or share my information and there was a fine and so on and now they have a very clear button where you can do that but many companies don't have an easy way of doing that so I take it part of Your role is to talk to businesses about this and, in a way, get a jump ahead of where the regulations might end up.
1: Exactly. So we really want to have a a product that can help simplify that for organizations. Maybe it's organizations that don't have the resourcing or they don't know how to do something because it's a complex problem. We can help support that by offering this product that will help simplify that for organizations. And I think some of the examples you've spoken about are really key to that, where Sometimes it's a company that wants to do something, but they just don't have the means to, or sometimes they're trying to figure out what to do for now versus later on. So I think really trying to understand how you are positioning yourself, what the expectations are, it can help you do some of your own risk assessment to to understand your values and what you need to prioritize, and also the third parties that might be able to help you with that.
0: I guess the other approach is every time a business reads about a change or Iowa has adopted a code or something then they have to call their lawyer and then, then they tweak tweak their policy and then the next week it's a different state and but let's expand it a little bit how how do you see the trends globally we we certainly see vast differences between the GDPR approach and many other countries have taken that as a starting point, but certainly haven't just adopted it. Uh, Other countries are quite different, like the United States with no comprehensive code on federal level. And then you have the countries like China and Russia that have really tough uh, data localization requirements. I mean, you have these vast differences. So what do you see as the global trends? uh, For any company that has a website and might offer to do commerce uh, globally, how do you
1: approach that? Yeah, I think it's very challenging. As you mentioned a couple of years ago, it could be that you were using the GDPR as a baseline. And I think that was a good approach for for a lot of different organisations. But I think the challenge is now that we're seeing new regulations appear at state level in the US and across the globe. It's becoming harder to operationalize for that. So I'm not sure what the future exactly holds. But I think what we are definitely seeing is that privacy protection is important to everyone. So as a result, there's an increasing appetite for regulating that. And I hope that we do see a future path to standardize and make it sustainable and operational. But in the interim, I think what we're seeing is a patchwork system that's challenging for privacy professionals to manage. And what they're really having to do is really evaluate where they're doing business, understand the risks that are involved with that, and try to think of solutions that will help support that. So I think that's where some tooling can really help. Um, For example, Um, You know, we've talked about uh, how Osano can help. uh, We closely monitor regulatory developments and best practices. But using tooling like Osano can help monitor and provide alerts in a way that can help support businesses to take that pressure off them so they don't have to spend their time doing that. And I think that's where companies can be strategic and thoughtful around what they're trying to manage, the risks that they're trying to support, and some of the dangers that can help support them with those problems
0: seen some efforts, some significant efforts in harmonization among the professionals, for example, NIST standards and other efforts, at least to to have common measurements and ways of addressing things, including in the privacy area. Do you see harmonization probably what we can expect in the future? Or do you think we'll end up with sort of regional data blocks, you know, China going one way and South America going a different you way. Know, what, what is your sense of, of where we're headed?
1: It's, it's hard to know because I think, as you mentioned earlier, there's such different philosophies behind each of the different requirements. So the GDPR is very much based on an individual approach, almost like a human rights-based approach. Whereas in the U.S., we're seeing a consumer-driven uh, privacy theme so I think it's hard to necessarily harmonise them all when I think there's still a little bit of difference between the various approaches. But I think we are getting to a place where we're all understanding that privacy rights are important to each of us. So it may take some time, but I am hopeful that we will see increased harmonisation. It just might not be at the, the the rate of pace that privacy professionals are looking for as they're trying to operationalize our programmes.
0: Right, and and what it means for organizations is uh, there's no one approach to this, and and they have a choice of of stumbling through things if they don't get the right guidance uh, about how to comply with the laws and the regulations that will apply to them. No matter where no matter where they're headquartered, you know, if they're doing business in another country, uh, they would better be aware of those laws, and they have to get it from somewhere, or they may well be fined, and. As you pointed out when we started, the reputational risk, in a way, is even higher than what fine they might incur.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think the reputational part is really important, and I think part of that is also why we're seeing some companies leveraging their privacy program into their ESG. They're really trying to think about their values. They're they're trying to think about what matters to them, and how do they best protect themselves not just from the fact that there's reputational elements externally, but also the reputational elements internally. I think we're seeing a lot of organizations that recognize that data ethics are an important part of their recruitment practices. So I think uh, the values, the reputation, it's just becoming so much more of table stakes for organizations. And if they're not getting ahead of it now, then it's something they really need to be doing. Thank
0: you very much for taking us on a tour of a very interesting approach to achieving compliance, and more importantly, uh, how any organization wants to position itself and really behave in the, in the world of global data and uh, how it wants to be known. So thank you very much for being our guest. Any any final words for our listeners?
1: Um, no, I, I thank you so much for inviting me. It's been a pleasure talking to you about this. It's such a, a challenging topic for many, and uh, we're, we're here. At, reach out if you have any questions. But thank you so much for inviting me to join today.
0: Well, you're very welcome. And as always, I will remind us all in closing, protecting your personal data begins with you.